son of a bitch. You had to tell them, didn't you? What are you trying to do? Kill me? I damn well ought to, you rotten bastard. And if I don't, you better thank the Lord you're my brother, because there's no other reason. Oh, baby, look, let me alone. I didn't do nothing to you. You know damn well what you did. Now, I'm not going to stand here and argue with you. Now, you better tell me who you talk to, because it's either them or you. I swear, baby, I don't know what you're talking about. Now, I only got so much control, and I'm liable to put one of these right between your eyes, no matter what Mama would say. Baby, look, look, I, all I know is what I hear. I want the name, Link, the name. Look, all right, all right, Catherine Wall. Uh, but don't you go messing with her, baby, she's mean. Catherine Wall, what does she have to do with the dope operation? Baby, she's the protection, the fixer. Without her, there's nothing. How does she do it? She runs a stable of the finest call girls in the country. Yeah, but they don't go off for just money. You gotta be somebody big. You gotta be a big man, a congressman, a, a, a judge, or on the grand jury. Okay, thanks. What are you doing? Well, no, 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 what no. Hey! Foxy, what's going on now? Come on, cut that shit out! You're moving out, brother. Out of town. And I mean it, Link. You think you're back in with those people, but they gotta stick a dynamite up your ass and the fuse is burning. You understand me? Now I want you out! Oh, you Who does she think she is? Well, that's my sister, baby. And she's a whole lot of woman. Scott, if your life had a face, I would punch it. Yeah. Wait, what? Let me ask you something. Why would always you make the point of saying someone's not a genius? Do you think I'm especially not a genius? Veronica, why are you pulling my dick? My fat one, you cheap dime store hood. Welcome to another installment of the greatest moments in the history of forever. I'm Zach. I'm Matt. And this is episode number 324. Foxy Brown and One Trashy Summer rolls on. It's time to get trashy. From the queen of really these movies. Oh, you were dangerously close to saying the queen of trash and I was about to lose it. (laughs) How dare you. How dare you even make me think you were going to say that? Is that a negative? Well, it sounds negative. Okay, yeah. 
Yes, Foxy Brown, 1974. We are finally getting the opportunity to talk about our favorite, Pam Greer, once again. This is probably a little bit closer to what you would think of for One Trashy Summer, the Grindhouse, drive-in movies, the exploitation movies. This is a little bit closer to that ideal than... The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, which is a mainstream studio movie that is not really that trashy. This one, I don't really think made any bones about it. Not it a lot of questions. For the drive-in, and they were going to get butts in the seats. Double feature. Sex, violence, drugs. Funky music. Funky music yeah. and crazy language and everything else. So before we jump in and discuss Foxy Brown, let's remind everyone to follow the show on Twitter, at Pod, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, wherever you find us. Please give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts when you get an opportunity. We really appreciate it. We love to read them. It's a big highlight for us. And while you're Doing that, maybe take the extra minute or two to email us, greatestpod at gmail.com. We will be reading an email at the end of the episode. We'd love to read yours too, so hit us up. Questions, comments, concerns, greatestpod at gmail.com. And Twitter and email are great places to request a free sticker or to work out the details of a listener request. We're not doing any during the month of June, but we're going to get back on track with that in July, and finally find us on Letterboxd, Zach1983, and Matt Crosby on there. So let's talk about Foxy Brown. Please. 1974, written and directed by Jack Hill. David Sheldon also did an uncredited pass over the script as well. Foxy Brown had a budget of $500,000, box office $2.46 million, making it a drive-in hit, although not as successful as its predecessor, Coffee, which I believe made about $4 million. Hard to differentiate the two movies. They're very similar films. This was actually supposed to be a sequel originally, which mm. we'll get into that more in a minute. But I went with this one over Coffee just because it had a more iconic-sounding name, which also ties in with one of our favorite films, Jackie Brown. Yep, that's a good enough reason. Yeah, but they are pretty similar. I actually think Coffee might be a little bit better. It's kind of hard to remember. They both sort of blur together. Pam Greer, Vigilante Justice, drug dealers are the bad guys. Like bright red blood. <laughs> yeah, the, the paint blood. Yep. If you have not seen Foxy Brown or would like to rewatch it for the purposes of listening to this podcast... You can find it streaming for free currently on Tubi. Oh, how about that? Or Pluto TV. Tubi strikes again. And if you happen to own a region-free Blu-ray player or a region B Blu-ray player, I will send you a copy of Foxy Brown for free. It is region B, so most people would not be able to play that. But if you're a movie person or a Wow, this is huge and have a region-free player and would like a copy of Foxy Brown on Arrow Blu-ray. I have two copies of it for some reason. They sent me two. So reach out on Twitter, at GreatestPod. No contest or anything? Or email. No, the only question I'll ask is, who is the star of Foxy Brown? There you go. That's all you need to tell me. In either an email, greatestpod at gmail.com, or on Twitter, 
slide into the DMs. First come, first serve. The first one I see, I'll try to be fair about it. I doubt there's going to be much interest because I can't imagine that many people have region-free players. But if anyone does and wants it, by all means. And if no one reaches out, I I get that too. I don't know how many people will have the player for this. Plus part of it is you have to take a picture of yourself watching it after you receive it. (laughs) So that we know you're not just selling it. Yeah, I don't know how much resale value there is on a Region B <laughs> Blu-ray. Don't mess round with Foxy Brown. Totally. She's the meanest chick in town. Or she's brown sugar and spice, but if you don't treat oh, yeah. her nice, she'll put you on ice. These taglines. <laughs> I actually saw a With third tagline on the Blu-ray, and I didn't write that one down. I thought two was good enough. <laughs> yeah, that'll do. I think a recurring thing, at least... In the outset of this episode will be the connection between Foxy Brown and Coffee, both starring Pam Greer. According to director Jack Hill, Foxy Brown was originally intended to be a sequel to his film Coffee from 1973, also starring Greer. And in fact, the working title of the film was Burn, Coffee, Burn. However, American International Pictures decided at the last minute it didn't want to do a sequel, even though Coffee was a huge hit. That's why it's never said exactly what kind of job Foxy Brown has. Coffee was a nurse, and since this was no longer to be a sequel, they couldn't give Foxy Brown that job and didn't have time to rewrite the script to establish just what kind of job she had. Just being cool. That's her job. Yeah, I think when you learn that tidbit of information, you can kind of see that and apply it to other aspects of the film and the script Uh as well. It does sort of have that rushed fly-by-night feel to some of the scenes. We're just moving along. As I said, Coffee came out in 73. It was also written and directed by Hill, also starring Greer. In that film, she plays a woman seeking violent revenge against a heroin dealer responsible for her sister's addiction. That film made $4 at the box office, also against a budget of $500,000. Coffee is also notable in its depiction of a strong black female lead, something rare in the genre at the time, and also in its then unfashionable anti-drug message, which again in the 70s was not super common, especially in exploitation films. The drug dealers, pimps, pushers weren't necessarily the villains in a lot of these films. They were often the good guys, (laughs) just depended. Yeah, they're a cool crew. Foxy Brown was a controversial film. Shocker. According to Yvonne D. Sims in her book, Women of Black Exploitation, Foxy Brown was heavily criticized not only for its disturbing portrayal of black womanhood, but also for its controversial stereotypes about violence and drug abuse in black culture. In a time when African Americans were making progress politically, socially, and culturally, Foxy Brown's heroine contradicted the image they were creating for themselves in society. Though Foxy is considered a heroine in the film, her role as a vengeful black woman willing to pose as a prostitute and exposing herself throughout the film goes against some of the characteristics one would expect in a heroine. It also addresses the stereotype of the objectification of black women. Nelson George states that Pam Greer has been embraced by many feminists for her roles that not only display her beauty, but also her fearlessness and ability to exact retribution on men who challenge her. Well, she's one of a kind. 
Also, while Foxy Brown was not prosecuted for obscenity, the film was seized and confiscated in the United Kingdom under Section 3 of the Obscene Publications Act 1959. That's wild. During the video Nasty Panic. The stuff that's gone on <laughs> over this type of material is insane. It's the class, grace, and beauty of Pam Greer that elevates Foxy Brown, just as she does with Coffee and all of the other black exploitation and women in prison films she was making during this era, many of which were for American International Pictures. Many of which you own. Oh, yeah. I <laughs> might own all six that she did for AIP. They're cheap, trashy, fun. I think something that I love about movies especially a lot of these movies that end up in the boutique Blu-ray world because they have cult followings and loyal fan bases, whether they're from the 70s with the drive-in films or the 80s with the direct-to-video market and trying to exploit that world. I just love the idea of these movies where it's a bunch of young people, usually in California, but oftentimes elsewhere as well, and they just get together they go somewhere for a couple of weeks, usually, two or three weeks, mm-hmm. and it just feels like they're hanging out and having fun making a movie, and that comes across. Totally. Whether it's something like this, these black exploitation films of the 70s, which you know were shot quickly, cheaply. That's right. And Not- everyone seems like they're having a lot of fun, yeah. chewing the scenery, acting crazy. Not married to the idea of having like a fully finished script. Or if it's like the California 80s slasher stuff, oh, go yeah. to a mall like Shopping Mall or Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. You just get that sense like, oh, a bunch of cool people hanging out for 20 days. We're going to stay at a hotel that's probably across the street, and then we're going to go over there and we're going to film at night. What an experience. I know. I'm very jealous of yeah. the people that just got to make these fun movies. I'm sure it does suck when you're in it. Like It's never as fun as it seems like it would be. Yeah, but it's also the thing that once you're past it, you probably look back, back and like, like, man, that was great. Glory days. Yeah. yeah, that was so fun. It is weird how life is like horrible like that. <laughs> Whenever you're in a good moment, you don't realize it until the moment's passed. Well, yeah, that's uh, that's every day. That's everything. Like when you know, finish your meal from Burger King. <laughs> you look back and how great that all was and how you wish you were still living in that moment. Just give it a few hours. You yeah. can come back. <laughs> black exploitation is a genre of exploitation films that usually targets the black audience in urban communities. Black exploitation was very popular at the time when Foxy Brown was released. After parts of the film industry saw untapped box office potential in the black audience, the reputation of the black exploitation film genre has shifted from low budget exploitation films to American classics worthy of deeper analysis. Although criticized for exploiting African-American culture at the time, it provided one of the few ways for African-Americans to get into the film industry. Greer addressed this in an interview with Essence in 1979. She says, Why would people think I would ever demean the black woman? I was tried and convicted without being asked to testify in my defense. Sure, a lot of these films were junk. (laughs) But they were... (laughs) They were what was being offered. They provided work for me and jobs for hundreds of blacks. We all needed to work. We all needed to eat. Well, Pam, I don't know if I agree that they were trash. Yeah, really? Come on. (laughs) This is legendary pictures we're talking about. She wasn't talking about Foxy Brown or coffee. I could see her talking about maybe some of the women in prison movies. (laughs) Yeah, true. (laughs) 
I think that she emerges as a feminist icon. It all plays a part. The iconic outfits, the hairstyles, the, the attitude. Yeah. Yeah, it's all there, both in this film and Coffee. She's wielding weapons, standing up to bigger and badder yeah. men. She could just own a room. And then the pushers and the pimps are portrayed as the villains. Filmed in just 17 days and featuring an original score written in essentially an homage to Shaft, Foxy Brown is the definition of 70s grindhouse drive-in theater fare. Violent, sexual, and completely out of control. Often funny, both intentionally and unintentionally. (laughs) There's a part in this movie where a nurse smacks a boner. Yikes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> You're just like, is this really a thing that's yeah. happening? <laughs> it opens with that very flashy Technicolor James Bond parody style opening. I'm totally in for it. As soon as the American International Pictures logo shows, it's just sort of like, hell yes, I'm ready to be in this world. <laughs> that music hits. Yeah, you know what you're in for. Yep. I would put the Jack Hill stuff. He did a few films with Pam, including some of the women in prison stuff. But I would put that as like the upper tier of this stuff, probably with Jonathan Demme's stuff too, Mm -hmm. both working for Roger Corman, obviously. But Jack Hill is a guy that didn't really take that next career step like Demme and move on to the studio stuff. But there's a fairly consistent quality to Hill's work. He was like the Scorsese of this field. I guess. I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense or not. But yeah, there's just like a very workmanlike consistency. None of his films are necessarily incredible or life changing. But as far as these black exploitation, women in prison, other kind of sex exploitation, exploitation stuff, I don't think I've ever really been disappointed okay. with a Jack Hill movie. I'm sure he has some duds, but well, the ones I've seen review. were all pretty good. Yeah. Antonio Fargus plays Lincoln Link Brown. He's in, He ends up being Foxy's brother. Seems like he counts on his sister. Yeah, he's living quite a life, really. To bail him out of trouble a lot. And then he just kind of makes himself right at home. Yeah, well, the beginning of the movie is sort of like how the rest of the movie is, where you're not really sure what's going on. Your bearings are sort of hard to get. I think all you really need to know in this movie is that there's good guys and bad guys, and it's not rocket science to figure out who's who, yeah. and that's really it. The who actual supposed to root for in any given scene? Specifics of the story or the plot, yeah. not important. Who, who gives cares? a shit? Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, he's just hanging out on the street, and then there's these guys in suits that are like pursuing him, and then... There's cops in the mix. He tries to buddy up to the cops, but then the cops are like, all right, we're leaving. For some <laughs> reason, he doesn't tell them there's going to be a problem, and then is to wait for Foxy to show up to rescue him from these guys. And it, it's a pretty daring opening scene here. He's jumping onto the hood of the car. Oh, yeah, it's a full, full-fledged action sequence. It ends with that guy being thrown off of their car into the water. Yep. Jack a lot Hill, of... no second unit director. He was like, I direct the action sequences. Uh, yeah, I don't know that there was a second unit for this. <laughs> a lot of vague details, but we get it. There's an association with criminal element here. It seems like Link is... a small-time drug dealer who's got himself mixed up with some questionable yeah. characters. Maybe sometimes thinks he's bigger time than he actually is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. What do you think the odds are against 500 people all hitting the number on Martin Luther King's birthday? So how much did you go down for? 
lousy 20 grand or so. But I would have had it all back if they just give me a lousy two or three more days. Oh, Link, after all you've been through, what are you going to learn? Look, it's a legitimate business. Almost. But it's better than being a paid informer like that big shot boyfriend of yours. And where is he now? He's probably at the bottom of the river, polluting it with his feet in a bucket of cement. Shut up about him, Link. Okay. Yeah, but I was doing fine before dealing coke. And then you came down on me for that. Oh, all right. I guess you're going to have to stay here until I can think of what to do. Thanks, baby. And them people don't know nothing about you at all. And that's another thing. As long as you're under this roof, you got to promise me to stay away from them people and out of the rackets. Foxy, look, I mean, I'm a black man, and I don't know how to sing, and I don't know how to dance, and I don't know how to preach to no congregation. I'm too small to be a football hero, and I'm too ugly to be elected mayor. But I watch TV, and I see all them people in all them fine homes they live in, and all them nice cars they drive, and I get all full of ambition. Now you tell me what I'm supposed to do with all this ambition I got. I don't know, Link. I just don't want to see you end up in jail or shot down in the street somewhere. Baby, jail is where some of the finest people I know are these days. He tells her all about a numbers racket and borrowing money from a, a loan shark. And he actually gives a pretty incredible speech about ambition right. yeah. and what you're supposed to do with it. There's actually a couple of moments in this movie, and this is one of them, where you're kind of like, whoa, <laughs> where's this coming from? And it's out of nowhere because yeah. a lot of the other scenes aren't that well written. The quality of the writing is all over the place, but there will be moments where characters will say stuff in this movie, and you're like, wow, that was actually like pretty powerful. They brought in John Milius to just touch up a couple scenes. It kind of feels like somebody came in and rewrote this this speech. Either that or they were kind of building the movie around a couple of key speeches. Pam's 14 costumes were designed by Ruthie West, who was a stylist for the Jackson 5, Thelma Houston, yeah. Bobby Gentry, the Curtis Brothers, and Sisters Love. Finger on the pulse of fashion. Hill initially did not like the outfits, thought they were oh, too trendy, too of the moment, but then later changed his mind over time as Pam and Foxy emerge as pop culture icons and then especially in the 90s there's a whole Oh never mind nostalgia. you were right yeah. <laughs> yeah decades later yeah. whenever he realized like oh I get it now it is cool that she's wearing the clothes of the time because uh -huh. then it all sort of is this iconic 70s imagery the drug and crime syndicate we learn are led by Steve Elias played by Peter Brown, who I recognized as the rapist from Act of Vengeance, oh, good. a.k.a. Yeah. Rape Squad. <laughs> <laughs> and Catherine Wall, played by Catherine Loder, who I recognize from The Big Dollhouse. Most known for <laughs> a great list. That also was a Pam Greer, Jack Hill collaboration. And this would be the last movie that Catherine Loder would ever appear in. She died 
shortly after this at the, uh, the young age of 38 from diabetes mm. she's got a very distinct face and Definitely. when you see her face and i tell you that she played the evil wicked warden in the big dollhouse mm. you think yeah that okay. checks I see, out yeah right i see that she's got that evil female warden face <laughs> <laughs> for sure it was a role she was born to play steve and Catherine are bizarre they are the leaders of the criminal group. They seem to be a couple. But I have to tell you, there is an incestuous vibe here. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but they feel like they're brother and sister, even though they never say that. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I, I think so. I think that's there. <laughs> I think it's the way everyone else looks at them when they're kissing, and everyone's kind of like, oh, God. Are these two related? <laughs> they definitely act like people who are related who yeah. are also having sex. That's that's the like there's way something wrong with what's happening here. Yeah, like it's kind of a secret. Yeah. <laughs> How did you feel about this early scene? Foxy taking care of her man yeah. in the hospital. Whew. Good grief. Yeah. Her boyfriend is a guy named Michael Anderson, played by Terry Carter. Although Michael Anderson was not always his name. <laughs> Okay. This gets very convoluted and weird, and you're like trying to figure out what exactly is going on. How many rewrites were happening? At one point, they're about to make love in his hospital room, and they're interrupted by a nurse who comes in to give him a sponge bath and then slaps his fucking boner. Ay, ay, ay. <laughs> Tough scene. So originally, Michael Anderson was a man named Dalton Ford, who was doing some undercover work previously to infiltrate the drug trade, but he's now had plastic surgery, I guess, and having a new identity. This is never really explained why any of this is happening. It's like a Sin City situation. I guess he's so wanted by this criminal syndicate, and this criminal syndicate, led by those two bozos, is such a threat that he can't be himself ever again. He has to change his face. How emasculated is he, even though he's dead? But by the end of this, when she just brings down this entire crime syndicate. Well, the whole world should be emasculated how easy this was. Relative ease, yeah. Yeah, this motherfucker's like so scared. He's like, I got to get a new face (laughs) and change my name. I can't even be the same man anymore. She's just like, I'm going to take these motherfuckers down. (laughs) Well, that's why we love her. Yeah. Again, nothing in this movie is ever simple (laughs) or easy. Or makes sense. (laughs) Instead of just having a scene where Michael is then checked out of the hospital, they have to have a scene where his mask is taken off and they're like, okay, this is what he looks like now. But for some reason, he can't check out until the next day. (laughs) But he's allowed to leave with Foxy, so they have like a day out together. But not. But then he has to go back to the hospital to check out the next day. Normally how that works. (laughs) Yeah. What is the point of any of this? I don't know. It doesn't really affect anything in the story. But you then could have again, just what done does? anything? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not really sure what the fuck is going on. They just needed some more hangout time between these two. Why he couldn't have just been checked out of the hospital, though? Yeah, you, I don't know. It wouldn't change anything. You could just write it where he ends up getting killed the same way later, eventually, anyway. Right. And nothing gets changed by him going back to the hospital. I don't know. But this is cool, though, because they're out on the street, and then there's these guys who essentially we come to find out are vigilantes. I think that there's supposed to be some sort of a connection or affiliation with the Black Panthers, which becomes more clear later in the film. But at this point, it just seems 
as if random vigilante groups are banding together to take down the the drug pushers and the drug dealers in the neighborhood. And this leads to this crazy street brawl <laughs> where at one point a baby carriage is being thrown <laughs> yes. into the street <laughs> with a baby in it. But this is another one of those scenes I was referring to before, kind of like Link's ambition speech, where this guy starts talking about the new slavery, right? the slavery of drugs and the whole thing, and dope. I was like, whoa, this is like another incredible speech randomly. Ahead of its time. Well, they have these great speeches in this movie, but then the actual scenes with dialogue, you're kind of like, this seems like it was written in five seconds. (laughs) It is a disconnect between these monologues and then the actual action of the film. Okay, get that asshole out of here. Ooh. Foxy baby, what's happening, mama? Oscar, that wasn't exactly smooth, but he had no business picking on a cripple. Well, uh, that was one of them bad, no good niggas. We've been trying to catch up with him for a long time. Mm-hmm. Oscar, I want you to meet my friend Michael. You a friend of Fox's? You're all right, brother. I'm glad to know that, man. Oscar's with the neighborhood committee. Yeah, what kind of committee? The anti-slavery committee. Slavery? Yeah, you see, we're in the process of abolishing what we call new slavery. That's the slavery of hard dope, man. You dig? I sure do. I mean, these pushers, they buy protection from the police and from the man. But from us, there is no protection. None whatsoever. You dig? Right on, brother. But what happens to the pusher? <laughs> uh, he's going to go on a very long train ride. To some other town, that is. What if he comes back? He won't come back. No way, indeed. Dynamite. Well, Oscar, we gotta run. We'll check you later, okay? Fox is a good chick, man. You treat her right, you hear? The last fella she had ran out of her at a bad time. Later. Maybe he's got the right idea. Sure do. But I don't know. Vigilante justice? It's as American as apple pie. Yeah. I kind of get, though, what they were talking about with how this whole movie... And coffee, too, to a certain extent. It has a different vibe than a lot of the other exploitation films of this time period because her boyfriend is some kind of a police. Mm-hmm. You have the vigilantes who are on the side of good and anti-drug and basically on the same side as the police, even though technically... Operating being, outside the Yeah, law. technically being yeah. a vigilante is a crime, too. You never have any specifics about what Foxy does, but there is sort of a general law affiliation, law enforcement affiliation vibe here. I don't know yeah. what it all means. Or well, she was just in proximity to that world, so. Well, even still, it's way different than a lot of these other movies. Yeah, yeah. Where the police would probably be seen as a negative thing. It's it's definitely a, a, an interesting vibe. Right. <laughs> Because it is such a crazy drive-in, grindhouse, trashy movie. But it's like, well, don't do drugs. And it has all these very topical, real, poignant, socio-political messaging going on, too, in the movie. It's actually kind of a deep movie at times. It goes back and forth. (laughs) Yeah. Where there's like these trashy, oh, yeah, I'm going to pretend to be a prostitute. And we're going to make fun of this guy's dick. And then (laughs) I'm going to cut this guy's dick off and all this crazy shit. And then they'll be like, look at the streets, man. It's like fucking... The society is a prison. Yeah, it's Lawrence Fishburne and Boys in the Hood. Oh, yeah. Giving a speech on the street corner. 
Link is still hanging around Foxy's place, and then she brings Michael back and then introduces Link to Michael, and you notice that there's a little bit of a hesitation. There's some kind of a spark of recognition, and you can kind of already see where this is going to go. <laughs> as soon as Link reacts in that way, you're like, okay, okay. <laughs> He's going to do something stupid. Here we go. Yeah. You see where it's heading. But thankfully for our man Michael, he does get to have a sex scene before he yeah, goes. Yeah, good for him. More nudity already in the film. Pam Greer told The Rolling Stone, She chose to be nude in many of her early films because she wanted to push the limits of how black women were perceived in the acting world. She said, quote, I call it the brown nipple revolution. We weren't the epitome of sexual attraction for the male audience. In movies, magazines, anything, we were told our brown nipples weren't attractive. I was trying to break that line of yeah. what was acceptable in society. There's an entire uh, marketing campaign. Well, I'm thankful that she thought that way because I I certainly enjoyed it. It is appreciated. <laughs> we just love Pam yeah. so much. I will say, though, that having to go back to the hospital to check out at least gives Michael free reign to hit it and quit it. He's like, all right, I got to go back, babe. <laughs> I got to head out, babe. You know, yeah. you heard the guys. I got to go back to the hospital. We don't obviously. know why. <laughs> you know. I mean, it's not normal protocol that people who are still checked in have this free reign, but okay, we're going with it. I have a day pass from the hospital. Yeah. I can just leave and come back. <laughs> From there, it all begins to fall in place rather quickly. You can see where it's going before it gets there, but you're powerless to stop it. A train wreck in super slow motion. There's a down-his-luck desperate man in Link, in over his head with some bad people. In scenes with Steve and Catherine, we more or less learn that the version of events Link shares with his sister may be slightly less than accurate. Seems... He tells his sister one version of things, but in reality, he is a drug dealer. He owes the money because of a dope deal. This well, is not anything to do with whatever he was saying to her. I know, but she's never really buying this. No. I mean, she but, always knows there's more to it. No, but it, in just terms of the audience trying to figure out what's happening, oh, yeah, we have no reason to think that he's lying at the beginning, and then you're like, oh, well, wait a minute. But the reasons are irrelevant. Link owes money he can't afford to repay. It's hanging around Foxy's crib where he spots an opportunity. The surgery done to Michael's face might fool some, but not all. Not Link. That's goddamn Dalton Ford. <laughs> the undercover pig. Great. Nearly brought down the whole operation. Steve and Catherine already tried having him killed. In fact, they actually believed Dalton Ford was dead. Everybody did. But now here comes Link... So desperate to save his own skin that he'll rat out his sister's boyfriend. Oh boy. Disgusting. And it ends with Michael shot down right on Foxy's doorstep. Oh yeah, well now they've done it. He literally falls into her house bleeding. He goes through all this bullshit after getting shot the first time like he's goddamn 50 cent. Goes to the hospital, survives. Their plan is, let's give you plastic surgery, change your identity and we'll pretend you're someone else and that Dalton Ford is dead. They go through that <laughs> only for him to be out of the hospital yeah. for one goddamn day. It was a thankless job. <laughs> what a pointless waste of time yeah. that all was. <laughs> Foxy immediately puts it together that it was Link who led to Michael getting shot. So she confronts Link. My no good piece of shit brother. Demands that he leaves town. 
It's a hilarious scene where she busts into his apartment. He's there with that other chick, his girlfriend, and he's terrified of her. And then, <laughs> rightfully so, she just starts shooting the gun all over the apartment. I know, <laughs> it's like hiding in the corner. Blasts him a couple times. No, it doesn't hit him. It, mm. Well, it, it grazes, grazes his, his ear. ear. Yeah. At <laughs> one point, it seems like she shoots, shoots him in the stomach when she first comes in. <laughs> no, that would be great. Yeah. Though. Even Link, talking about his own sister, says she's a whole lot of woman. <laughs> <laughs> well, we all agree. It's just generally accepted. We shift gears into the picture's final form, a revenge movie. Yes. And now we're like, here we go. Foxy begins her own personal rampage of retribution in the aftermath of the shooting. Realizing it was Link who fucked them over, Foxy pressures her brother at gunpoint and learns the killing is connected to a quote-unquote modeling agency, which is actually an upscale brothel run by Steve and Catherine that services local judges, congressmen, and police. Foxy does the only thing that makes sense. She poses as a prostitute in order to infiltrate the operation. We were all thinking it. (laughs) This has to be the plan. That is the only thing you can do in this situation. (laughs) There's no choice. (laughs) She tells them that her name is Misty Cotton. Imagine someone named Foxy Brown needing an alias to be a prostitute. (laughs) (laughs) I get that she has to change her name because she doesn't want to be associated with her brother or Dalton Ford or anything. But you have to be kicking yourself thinking, man, I've had this name my whole life. Everyone has been calling me a hooker or a stripper my whole goddamn life. (laughs) Now I need to pretend to be a prostitute and I have to give a different name. (laughs) (laughs) She shows up. It's a bunch of straight talk, no bull. Gets right in Catherine's office and is like, look, let's stop pretending with the modeling. I know what goes on here. I'm going to fuck the shit out of these dudes that you tell me to fuck. Yep. But I got to get my money or whatever. And when you look like Pam Greer... You're going to nail the audition slash interview at a brothel. I think so. You really don't even need to say anything. You're hired. <laughs> and then, on her first day at her new gig, the fucking red dress that she shows up in. Oh, yeah. A stunner. <laughs> you turn into the cartoon wolf with the unraveling tongue at that point, <laughs> making like that. Ooh. <laughs> And they actually have the fucking balls to put her in a different dress. I know. And the one she showed up in has the giant boob window, and it's leaving almost nothing to the imagination. (laughs) And the dress they put her in is not as good. (laughs) She looked better in the clothes she showed up in. (laughs) It's not fair to the other girls, really. I think so. Yeah. They'd have to start tears. I feel like there needs to be like a pricing tier. Not to be gross, but there probably is. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Steve certainly takes notice when she shows up. I think so. Foxy is taken under the wing of a woman named Claudia, played by Juanita Brown. I like Claudia. Who, by the way, I recognized from Caged Heat. (laughs) Recognized everyone from this movie. (laughs) A lot of crossover. Yeah. Yeah, Claudia's got a great smile and an easy laugh. She's another woman working for Steve and Catherine who has her own share of drama with an estranged husband and son who want to move to Seattle, which causes a scene outside of the brothel. <laughs> Money? Hey, 
And speaking of courtrooms... Oh, yes, your friends who got into a little trouble. Well, don't worry. I'm told they're good boys who just made a few mistakes. I'm sure we can manage to give them another chance. Oh, I do hope so. Danny is such a good person. He just has terrible luck, that's oh. all. Like the time when he was found in that alley with that nine-year-old girl? He wasn't molesting her. She was loving every minute of it. And them ropes didn't mean a thing. What? Uh, ropes? And when he cut off that woman's fingers, that was only an accident. Huh, Claudia? Sure. Elroy's not really bad either. I mean, that dynamite he sells isn't nearly as good as the smack he used to sell in school. School? Oh, high school. I mean, he never dealt nothing more than grass in grade school, you know. <laughs> Sounds like a public menace. Oh, but he don't mean to be. You'll be nice to them boys, won't you, if we're nice to you? Well, I, I guess we'll have to see just how nice. Huh? Hey, not so fast. Yeah. Take it easy. <laughs> We've got very special plans for you. Oh, really? What? Huh. <laughs> 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 Will you look at that? <laughs> Baby, is this what you're going to use on me? What? I mean, uh, I've heard of a meat shortage, oh. but... That's ridiculous. <laughs> well, you, you gotta... Well, uh, the other girls liked it. Oh, I'm sure I'll like it. But I just can't find it. Claudia, help me find it. I think it's under here somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, don't, don't just watch it. Don't run on it. <laughs> the charge, Your Honor, is assault with a very undeadly weapon. I mean, you talk about your blunt instrument. Well, you're different, all right. I'll say that for you. And you too, little man. But I can play along with a gag as well as the next fella. What happens now? Now we get serious. Mm -hmm. Love it. <laughs> Come on. Now you're going to get the real taste of him. Yeah. You ready? You pink-ass corrupt honky judge. Take your little wet noodle out of here, and if you see a man anywhere, send him in, because I do need a man. So the two of them get put with this judge, and the whole point of this is they got to fuck this judge who's going to show some leniency for Steve and Catherine's foot soldiers out there. Immediately making charges. fun of this dude. Oh, yeah. They... Ridicule. ...have fun at his expense. He's got the heart boxers on and then apparently a, a tiny penis. <laughs> <laughs> when they finish up with the judge, there's that part where Claudia starts having that weird breakdown, and it was giving me... Jesse Spano from Saved by the Bell vibes. <laughs> yeah, it's a little erratic. It was a, it was kind of a similar yeah. meltdown. <laughs> I don't really even remember why. Oh, because I guess because she felt like she wasn't going to see her son. Mm -hmm. 
And then Foxy pretty much does arrange for Claudia to get out. Yeah, Foxy's a true savior. She's got a heart of gold. Not surprisingly, since Foxy and Claudia humiliated him, the judge does not play ball and throws the book at Steve and Catherine's soldiers. This failure puts the spotlight on Foxy since she's the new girl. The movie takes a very bizarre turn here and goes into a lesbian bar brawl. Oh, yeah. Which I'm not even sure what was going on anymore. (laughs) Why were they even in there? Sometimes there were just scenes just to have scenes. (laughs) Well, it was 1974. The idea of a lesbian bar brawl was so novel to them, I guess. (laughs) They just had to include it. That was a note from Corman. (laughs) We need this included. And then it spills out into the alley where there's a chase and then Foxy takes out a few of the henchmen, but then she makes sure that Claudia can get away. Yeah. What's her body count by the end of this thing? At least 10, right? I believe the body count for the whole movie is 12. Oh, okay. So, which is weird that I know that, but I, th- yeah. I think I saw that online somewhere. So sometimes people like to put that in the tidbits. Yeah. I don't know why. Foxy is apprehended by Steve and his goons in short order. Her relationship with Dalton Ford is uncovered as is her connection to Link, her brother. After an exchange of harsh words and heated death threats, Catherine ultimately decides to keep Foxy alive in the hope of her being worth some money in the sex slave trade. They give her a shot of heroin and then send her to the farm, which is actually a glorified shed operating as a drug manufacturing plant. Not a very pleasant place. (laughs) Just not a good place. No, you don't want to go there. When Foxy awakens, she finds the henchmen watching her are either asleep or distracted, so she tries to escape, but she is caught by one of the men who lassos a whip around her neck, drags her back to the room, and ties her to the bed. A second goon comes in, gives Foxy another shot of heroin, and then rapes her. Yeah, it's a rough scene going on here. Yeah, well, unfortunately, that's just part of this genre, the... Grindhouse, exploitation, drive-in movies of this era often had rapes and sexual assaults as Mm -hmm. part of the story. I will say, thankfully, in Foxy Brown, it is predominantly off-screen, not shown, more an insinuation. There's really nothing too traumatizing or triggering, I guess, in this moment. Foxy uses her mouth to pick up a razor blade off the table, which she uses to free herself. Pretty cool move. Her whole escape is so insane. I know. <laughs> she picks up a knife in the kitchen and then just slashes that guy's face and oh, then yeah. just starts pouring gasoline on the other guy and then <laughs> lights a fire. Well, there needed to be some vengeance here. <laughs> yeah, you can definitely see the influence of these things on Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> Now that Foxy has escaped and caused them even more damage, Catherine orders Steve to kill Foxy. Steve's plan is to scare the information out of Link. Well, he's like, isn't that what we've been trying to do? (laughs) Yeah. But it all goes awry. Both Link and his girlfriend end up killed. More bright red blood all over the place here. (laughs) The guy who kills Link's girlfriend. Yeah. Too bad. She was a good looking piece. (laughs) (laughs) Holy shit. Now the initial shot to Link almost seems like it's an accident. Yeah. The way the guy reacts. It's kind of like the part in Pulp Pulp Fiction. Fiction. Yeah. (laughs) With her back against the wall, Foxy turns to her Black Panther brothers for help. All right, uh, we've talked about your request, and uh, we're not sure whether we want to help you or not. 
we're a neighborhood committee, and uh, this is sort of out of our neighborhood, you know what I mean? Maybe the time has come to grow a bit, brother. What is it you really want? Justice. For whom, your brother? Why not? It could be your brother, too. Or your sister. Or your children. I want justice for all of them. And I want justice for all the other people whose lives are bought and sold so that a few big shots can climb up on their backs and laugh at the law and laugh at human decency. And most of all, I want justice for a good man. This man had love in his heart. And he died because he went out of his neighborhood to try to do what he thought was right. Sister, I think what you're asking for is revenge. You just take care of the justice, and I'll handle the revenge myself. Another great quote in this scene, too, when she says, you take care of the justice, I'll handle the revenge myself. Definitely. You're like, oh, God. Hell yeah. Chills. <laughs> At this point in the movie, you're kind of like, what is going on? I don't know. I know. What is the revenge for? Oh, yeah, they killed that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Again, nothing in this movie is easy or immediately makes sense to me. <laughs> I know. You Which have is to think. part of the charm. Because the Actually, way that she comes up with how to get to Steve and Catherine is so weird. I know. Well, I said you have to think, but the reality is, don't think. That only makes it worse. Her first thought is, I need to get with the pilot who's bringing the drugs in. I know. I don't... All of a sudden, Sid Haig's in the mix. Yeah, I I don't know what's happening here. Sid Haig plays Hayes, the pilot. She's just always 12 steps ahead. I don't even really know what the point of this is, other than they do meet up with Steve eventually, but it feels like she could have found Steve any number of ways. Yeah, but not all of them would involve her being able to weaponize a plane. That's true. Which seemed to be a key ingredient in this plan. Foxy flies with Hayes to an exchange with Steve, getting the jump on the villains, while her new Black Panther allies arrive on the scene as well. Foxy turns the little plane into a weapon, using it to run down one of the men in a hilarious moment. It seems like he had plenty of opportunity to get out of the way here. (laughs) He's like, she's not going to do that. No, no. (laughs) Up until that very last second, he thought that she was going to turn the wheel. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah, he failed in a game of chicken. The Black Panthers kill Steve's partners in crime, then capture Steve and castrate him. (laughs) Sorry, Steve. (laughs) What are you going to do? What do you want? What are you guys going to do? Ready, sister. No, you. You're crazy. You can't do this. You can't do that. No, no, Foxy. Oh no, Ah! Okay, so yeah, (laughs) quite the escalation. (laughs) Now, granted, maybe we were a little aggressive with Steve. There was a rape. Yeah. But the rape is off screen, so you're kind of, I guess, 
forgetting about it quickly or moving on, but it does feel like this comes out of nowhere. <laughs> because even if they were like, okay, we're going to behead Steve and she's going to bring his head to Catherine. I'd be like, wow, that's crazy. But I, I don't think it would even get the same reaction. This, I'm like, why? Why did I you know. do this? And then you find out later they don't kill him. <laughs> this is just the whole plan, was right. to cut his fucking dick and balls off. <laughs> or just balls. I'm not really sure. I yeah. guess. I thought it was maybe the whole thing there, but yeah, that's what I pictured. <laughs> Foxy comes to Catherine's house. And brings with her a jar containing Steve's genitals. <laughs> now this is a power move. <laughs> what a movie. She takes a hidden pistol out of her afro and kills the two guards before shooting Catherine in the arm. Yeah. Fo- Foxy thinks that death is too easy for her. She says... <laughs> Not a great showing by these guards, by the way. Death is too easy for you, bitch. Yeah. I want you to suffer. <laughs> I had to write that down because it was so insane. Dynamite. <laughs> Hold it right there, Spook. Yeah, you're going to be a spook for real pretty soon. Hands up. Don't pinch the fruit, faggot. You watch your mouth around. No, Eddie. Later. I want to know what she's doing here. I'll take that big man. Sure. I brought it for you, Miss Pimp. Like I said, it's a present from your faggot boyfriend. See what it is, Eddie. What is it? I don't know. Looks like a pickle jar or something. Bring it here. idea the rest of your boyfriend is still around and i hope you two live a long time and then maybe you get to feel what i feel death is too easy for you bitch i want you to suffer (laughs) and that's it that's the movie. The credits sort of just appear, which is not unlike a lot of the other movies in this genre yeah. and of this time period. I'm left applauding. Yeah, it's fast and ruthless and to the point. That's exactly what we want. And I was reminded of Miss Pam Greer 
in Jackie Brown at the end singing along to Across 110th Street. Hell yes. And how Across 110th Street is its own movie, and that song is from the movie. But in a way, it's like Tarantino was using the song to summarize all of these movies. Right. And the stories of them, and the plight of the women in them, and then Jackie in Jackie Brown is sort of like the next generation, or that generation, but a couple generations later. Yeah. 20 years later down the road, and she's carrying this burden, and she's singing the song of all these women from these other movies. It just felt like all connected as like one big thing because the plot I know of Coffee or Foxy Brown is sort of the lyrics to Across 110th True. Street which is also about drugs and stuff although it doesn't really feature like a strong Foxy Brown type character or anything like that for the women but you know it all felt like this one big connection definitely and that song rules <laughs> to summarize <laughs> yeah so does Jackie Brown yep in December 2016, a television series based on the film was reported as being developed by streaming service Hulu, with Devon Franklin and Tony Krantz executive producing, and Megan Good starring as Foxy Brown. Oh. As of October 2022, the TV series has yet to appear. <laughs> well, I <laughs> definitely think there the was an era yeah. of Hulu where they were announcing a lot of stuff that uh-huh. never happened, right. so I got a feeling that's not happening. Foxy Brown spoke directly to the women's power movement and struggle in the 1970s. Despite criticism, Foxy was the poster child for a new type of heroine who was subsequently appropriated by the blaxploitation genre. She redefined African-American beauty, sexuality, and womanhood, which led to the diversification of African-American actresses on screen. Greer said, quote, the 1970s was a time of freedom and women saying that they needed empowerment. There was more empowerment and self-discovery than any other decade I remember. All across the country, a lot of women were Foxy Brown and Coffee. They were independent, fighting to save their families, not accepting rape or being victimized. This was going on all across the country. I just happened to do it on film. I don't think it took any great genius or great imagination. I just exemplified it, reflecting it to society. Additionally, Foxy Brown and Coffee show that women can stand up for themselves and for what they believe. Absolutely, and just straight up beat the shit out of people. The image of Foxy in an evening gown well-equipped with a gun is a visual representation of that idea that one does not have to be masculine to have power. Female power, according to Greer, is very different from male power, and women should maintain it always. And if you explore it a little deeper, there is always a through line of maternalism in both Coffee and Foxy Brown, a dedication to family, and almost, I would say, old-fashioned traditional values, which also ties in with the whole thing about the pimps and the pushers and the drug dealers being the villains in these particular films. But I think that's sort of what's strange a little bit about a movie like Foxy Brown when you compare it to a lot of the other black exploitation or exploitation films of that same era is yes it has all of the things you want right in these movies violence sexuality all that crazy shit but the morality of it is very almost conservative or traditional compared yeah, it does to a make lot of those other films stand apart from some of the others it's always a blast to explore any of the Pam Greer stuff absolutely from this era i love it's really it all classic cinema 
Yeah, it's taken a long time to get back because yeah. I feel like when we did Black Mama, White Mama, which was one of her women in prison films, I had made a mental note like we need yeah. to do at least one of Coffee or Foxy Brown at some point. It took a while Thankfully, to get back here. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a good one to have in the catalog. Yeah, so I would recommend checking it out for free on Tubi or Pluto TV if you get the chance. Let's move into the segments, recommendations. Since it's the same night we were recording before and I didn't have one then, I don't have one now. All right, we're going to skip recommendations this week, but we are going to do a little mailbag. All right, my favorite segment. All right, all right, all right, you go ahead. You go ahead, you keep it secret. But you remember this, when you control the mail, you control information. As always, you can email us at greatestpod at gmail.com. Greatestpod at gmail.com. We want to read your emails on the show. This week's comes from Kevin. Ooh, first time, long time. He writes, Dear Zach and Matt, we're just over three years from when I first found the show. I started with episode 10, Adventureland. Ooh. After realizing the most recent episodes to that point were... Give us a second Operation Lockdown. <laughs> I think I called it Operation Shutdown, but yeah. that's fine. It was an old Pittsburgh Pirates reference. Gotcha. <laughs> Operation Shutdown. <laughs> I was worried the show was already over by the time I found it. Then a few months later on my birthday, the episode for Fear was released. The triumphant return. In the months between, I had listened to almost all of the show's catalog, so if I say I'm an ass clown, you will agree. Absolutely. <laughs> I like a There Will Be Blood reference just in the middle of an email. Some highlights of the show for me, aside from the movies being covered, were the Kesha Pride Day and New Jersey Trip (laughs) episodes. Those are good forgotten eps, yeah. Along with Zach telling us how his friends would throw salt shakers at people from their car, resulting in a high-speed chase through a neighborhood. (laughs) That might have been an overshare. There might be. Maybe I shouldn't have. I don't know if the statute of limitations is up on that. I might have to head down to Barbados for this whole thing (laughs) to blow over. I always enjoy those randomly inserted stories. What really cracks me up is the self-deprecating humor, Matt, and Zach's constant piling on and disapproval (laughs) of basically everything Matt does. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, it's way worse off too. (laughs) It's a great bit. It's not a bit. Yeah, no. It's completely real. (laughs) If anything, I'm barely containing my rage. I know. I'm also really enjoying the new physical media segment. Although my movie collection is laughable, I have a halfway decent vinyl collection, and I've heard you guys talk about your own before. Well, I used to have one, and I sold most of it to Matt. Yeah. Well, not most of it. No, no, yeah. I sold most of it online, and it got into some tax jams. (laughs) (laughs) no but that actually that's i didn't know what kevin was going to say in his email that's actually tying in with what i was talking about last episode with the physical media right segment and how you should really just own what you need to own just the ones you need to make sure you always have access to that's all you don't need a huge collection so it's cool hearing about the things you guys collect and maybe one day we can hear more about what seemed to be a staggering record collection yeah I'm not that interested in talking about it. (laughs) Well, Kev, welcome to what it's like to be me. (laughs) Bring up a topic and have Zach completely shoot it down. I bring up the topics. Yeah, that's it. It's his show. Uh, That's it. 
Come on. I think the question I have for you guys is how did... <laughs> he's only now getting to the question. Yeah. <laughs> a preamble. I think the question I have for you guys is how did you become friends? Was it movies, music, work? I'm sure there's a story there. All of the above, I there's guess. There's really no story. But... No. Work, but I guess True Blood? <laughs> Was maybe sort yeah, of a bonding we, conversation. We actually started working together in. Did you start there in two thousand nine? Yeah, ten. It was like right at the end of two thousand nine. So yeah, it's been a while now. Yeah, I had just moved to Pittsburgh, so I, I now I'm like saying that I'm like oh, I've been here almost fifteen years. Yeah, it's the and longest I've lived anywhere. We had a job where there was times where we could just talk all day because. I don't know. Who a, cares about the work? Yeah. <laughs> it was a terrible company. So, yeah, we were talking about music and movies and stuff. Well, obviously, we became, like, closer, better friends when I moved in with you and your other roommate. Yeah. If that hadn't have happened, we probably wouldn't have done this podcast, True. for sure. Although we had already done one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we just started hanging out, like, all the time at Too that much, point. Yeah. Frankly. And we needed to dial back. <laughs> So we started this podcast where we knew that one day we would yeah. hate each other. I don't know. Talking. I mean, I don't know what happened that all of a sudden you were like, well, why don't we do a podcast again? Well, that was months of yeah. preamble to getting to the point where we actually did it. Right. Because we started talking about it yeah. at one apartment, and then we actually completely moved to a different apartment before <laughs> yeah. we even came close to starting. True. So it, it went on for a while. Yeah. I think the biggest hurdle was... Going to buy equipment? <laughs> no, understanding how to use the equipment, well, or how yeah. to do it. I know. I just felt like we had no idea how to even do it. So how would even how would we even start? But whatever. Well, we figured it we out. Fi- figured Thankfully it out. for everyone. <laughs> so yeah, we first met in two thousand nine, became good friends, but then better friends in twenty fourteen. Yeah. When I moved in with Matt and another roommate, we no longer live together now, and have not for. A while, but we did live together for a few years. Yeah, people hear me talk about Lindsay all the time. They're like, "What? Did the three of them live together?" Look, it's on the table, people. It could happen. <laughs> oh yeah, there's definitely a chance. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to find where in Kevin's email I was. I still very much appreciate you guys doing my original listener request of blue is the warmest color. But anyway, I think I can speak for all of us ass clowns when I say I love the show and all you guys do. Keep on trucking. All right. Well, thanks, Kev. Absolutely. I mentioned it during one of the recent listener requests of this year, but Kevin requesting Blue is the Warmest Color really kicked off a new era of the show in terms of engaging with listeners and doing what? listener requests again because we had done it before and stopped doing it because it didn't It was go a well. disaster. <laughs> <laughs> I blame those listeners, though. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, look, Kevin is a, a key part of what kept things moving forward at a certain point. So anyway, thanks, Kevin. You've been a big part of the show for a while now, and we appreciate you listening and engaging with us. If you would like your email read on the show, please... Send us one. Greatestpod at gmail.com. Questions, comments, concerns. You don't necessarily have to write paragraph after paragraph about how great we are. Although we're interested we do in hearing, that, hearing yeah. that too. That's not mandatory. Right. Although we do like it. Heavily encouraged and appreciated. <laughs> you can get straight to the questions if you want. Yeah. It's up to you. Anyway, let's wrap it up for Foxy Brown. 
If you would like a Blu-ray of the Region B Arrow release, please reach out either on Twitter, at GreatestPod, or on email, greatestpod at gmail.com. Tell me who the star of Foxy Brown is if you'd like it for free. Like I said, you need a Region B Blu-ray player, though, or Region Free. She's never seen a single Paul Walker movie? That's a huge oh-no-no. She also doesn't care about Blu-ray? She's a monster. I do have a quick physical media spotlight I guess we can do, because I wanted to tell Matt this story more than anything else. Let's hear it. (laughs) I don't know if this will translate well, but I have four items here that all came. One of them I've actually already talked about on physical media spotlight. Oh, good. But we have the glorious-looking Thelma and Louise 4K from Criterion. In the nice... That cover's amazing. Digipack. Yeah, I love this cover. We did Thelma and Louise last year. If you haven't seen it, please check it out. It's such a great movie. Totally. And if you have a 4K player, I'd recommend getting this Criterion. I have Cliffhanger in a Steelbook. Oh. A movie I've never seen. Me neither, but I've always loved the cover of it. I keep hearing that it's like pretty good. Wow. I think I've seen parts of it. I was never a big action guy, though. Me neither. There's... A lot of action movies from the 90s and stuff that I just never watched. And now I'm like, well, maybe I should Why check not? it out. It seems like they're always releasing those Jean-Claude Van Damme movies. The Night of the Hunter on oh, Kino yeah. Lorber 4K, wow, that was cool. which I talked about as a pre-order, and that finally arrived. And then The People Under the Stairs oh, yeah. 4K from Scream Factory, the Wes Craven movie featuring what's-their-names from... Yeah, Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. Anyway... The point with these movies, they all came from Best Buy. They were all pre-orders. Oh. Tuesday was the release date. So I'm not really complaining about the actual day that I ended up getting them because that was fine. It was Tuesday. I don't really care about the day. But... Okay. Here we go. <laughs> for people who have mail slots in apartments, sometimes they're all in like one big box and then the mailman can open the whole thing and then just put everything in all the different slots and then just close the whole thing. Yeah. And then if you get a package, that goes in the package box, and then you get the key, and you can unlock it and then take the package out. Well, on Saturday, I got notices that these movies were all delivered, and I was very <laughs> excited. I was like, I'm definitely going to watch this Thelma and Louise 4K this weekend. It's going to be great. Three-day weekend. And then I go down to the mail slot. They're not in there, and no key. Disaster. So where are they? Yeah. I was waiting for someone else to retrieve them from the package slot because maybe they put the key in the wrong slot and then someone would open it and then be like, oh, this isn't mine, and then put them on that bench down there in the lobby. Nope. Had to wait all the way until today. Yeah, that's frustrating. And then I was describing the mailman situation to you. It just seemed like (laughs) a random guy, no uniform. I don't know what was going on. It's just a weird world we live in now. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. Maybe not the most exciting story ever, but... I thought it was pretty good. I'm definitely one of those <laughs> definitely one of those instant gratification types. So it's bad enough that I have to wait for it to I know, be shipped anyway. That, you had to be suffering. I know. And this was a lot of times I just take these things and put them in piles. Yeah. And I don't really have time to get to anything. But this was actually one of those times where I was thinking, man, I think it would be a great weekend to watch Thelma and Louise. And then, of course. Not here. Yeah, I couldn't do it. Mm. Obviously, I could have watched the old Blu-ray. But what is the point Come of that? Come on. Yeah. Get get real. <laughs> All right, folks, that'll do it for Foxy Brown. Thanks so much for listening. You know where to find us on Twitter at Greatest Pod. You know the email address, greatestpod at gmail.com. 
We're going to keep it rolling. Big month. Oh, yeah. Cramming them all in. One trashy summer. They're only getting more trashy from here, folks. It's a sliding scale. We're heading straight down yes. into the pit of despair. <laughs> <laughs> right where we want to be. Anyway, thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week. I'm a long-time woman, and I'm serving my time. I've been locked away so long now, I've forgotten my crime. Been working on the road now, I've been... about sexual harassment on TV and it makes the headlines in newspapers. As an employee, what do you need to know about it? First, sexual harassment is against the law and it's against your company's policy. So what is sexual harassment? Linda, you are doing a fine job here. Oh, well, thank you, Steve. But you know, you might try dressing a little sexier at work. I I'm sorry? I mean, we're talking about your job here. There may be physical harassment. Wow. You're really tense today, Nancy. Ow, Bill! Sorry. You looked really tense. You know, I really don't like it when you do that. Can you please stop? I'll never stop, Nancy. Never. In some instances, the harassment may be verbal. Word around the offices, you've got a fat cock. Yes, I do. I've got a fat cock, too. Maybe we should rub our fat cocks together sometime. Maybe a little oil, two fat cocks, 
together. Oil. It might be visual harassment, such as derogatory posters, cartoons, or drawings. Sexual harassment is not always about sex. It may be the result of a power struggle between a manager and a subordinate. Man, I could go for a power fuck right now. Change is slow, and what was acceptable in common behavior years ago can now be sexual harassment. Smells like vagina in here. Excuse me? Smells like fresh vagina in here. Are you talking about my vagina? Maybe. Everyone wants to be treated fairly and with respect. Treat your coworkers with the courtesy and respect that you want for yourself. It's your company's policy and it's the law.